Busy week, busy morning. Kefauver, in fact, just got on the ground from a trip to the bubble. Welcome back, Joe. It's good to be back, Sean. I'm, I'm glad to see you brought today's food. 7-Eleven donkey. This episode, of, <laughs> this episode of Working Lunch is fueled by 7-Eleven Eats. What's on the menu today, guys? Big bite, big gulp for two twenty-two. You can't beat it. The apple fritter. The apple fritter in 7-Eleven, it's, it's a life-changing experience. Try it out. I am familiar with, with her. Yes. Joe, did you get me the hummus and pretzels I asked for? I did not. Wow. Let's do the show. Can I help you? We need to talk about your flair. I think I'm going to have to go supersize. We need a political revolution. And we will make America great again. From the home office of Align Public Strategies in downtown Orlando, Florida, this is Working Lunch. Coming up on the podcast, enforcement of menu labeling starts for restaurants and convenience stores next week in the country's biggest city. And there's a call to action for other cities to not wait for the feds. Fight for 15 adds a new group of supporters and takes aim at a major restaurant chain with comparisons to President Trump. We'll have the legislative scorecard, including Trump's reported budget request that includes paid leave for dads. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sean Kelly, with Align Public Strategies partners Joe Kefauver, Franklin Coley, and Joe Renzel. Carson Chandler is traveling this week. Okay, guys, as we sit around the table and eat our 7-Eleven food, if we were to purchase this same food in New York City next week, technically, we should have seen the menu labeling by now. What happened there this week, and what is Mayor de Blasio saying that could lead to some fallout around the country with uh, with menu labeling? Franklin? Yeah, as we discussed a couple podcasts ago, the federal menu labeling regs have been delayed by the Trump administration. And so that preemption that would have prevented cities and states from passing their own standards, enforcing their own standards, um, is gone. And this week, the mayor stood up, held a press conference and said, and I'll read this quote directly, we can no longer wait for federal action. And we urge other cities to follow our lead. So I think what we're going to see now, and we said yet again a couple podcasts ago, California was delaying implementation to wait for the feds to look at the issue and catch up. Now we have de Blasio doing the exact opposite. And we thought California would be a signal to people not to go forward. And now de Blasio is intentionally saying to other cities, you need to go forward. We thought slash we're hopeful and, (laughs) um, you know, We'll, I think a lot of folks are going to look at what's going on in D.C., and I, I think we're going to talk about it later. Um, so in terms of blue cities, though, uh, what kind of weight does de Blasio's message carry, do you think? Well, you see a lot of this stuff start in New York City. And, you know, other, you know, maybe it goes to Chicago or L.A. is next, and then it, it starts to spread. New York City alone is not a trend, but... Other cities could follow. That, that's for yeah, sure. and, and and we've learned from De Blasio that you know it's he's very political, and there's a lot of you know there's there's always people jockeying to, for that seat, you know, and so he's he tends to get out in front of these policy issues a because he believes in them, but b because he's trying to stay ahead of of his political opponents, and if that same political right. dynamic is not playing out in San Francisco or Seattle or some of those other really blue cities, we they might not be in a hurry to do this. I still think, you know, it comes down to dollars, and I still think it's going to be hard to get cities to create rules, regs, and more importantly, an enforcement mechanism on something that may go away. I still think, 
he, so I, I guess I think de Blasio's action will still kind of be an outlier. I do not think other cities will follow suit. Yeah, and just to that point, to strengthen that point, this was already on the books, and they essentially just delayed implementation because they thought the federal standard was going to go into effect. And then when the federal standard got delayed, they already had it in the books. They already had all the infrastructure built out. They essentially, for lack of a better term, just flipped the switch. And now you have to comply with it. And if you're in New York City, you have to comply with a standard that's you know, a little different than the federal standard, and it goes into effect next week. Yeah. Enforceable, and they will start fining you know, by the end of the summer, August 21st. So pretty short time frame to get your act in order if you're a New York City yeah. uh, food retailer. I'm sure it'll be litigated at some point. If it's happening in, in New York, other cities are bound to start doing the same thing. They're not going to wait for the federal government. I don't know that a lot of cities are going to have confidence that we're at a year delay right now. And I don't think that a lot of city leaders are going to have confidence that that may not stretch into two or the rule may not go away altogether. So I think some are going to start this conversation and they may not build out the entire bureaucracy. They may not build out the enforcement infrastructure now. They may wait a year, but that doesn't mean they can't start this conversation and pass something. And to Joe's earlier point in the politics, you know, if you've got a election around the corner and you want to look active in certain spaces, this would be one of them. And you could put a phase in for two years from now. And maybe the feds get their act together, maybe they don't. But you've, you've shown your constituents, you've shown the city that you're going to lead in this space. The Fight for 15 movement is targeting McDonald's next week, timed with the company's annual shareholders meeting. This year, the protest is expected to be larger and a lot more visible with comparisons being made between McDonald's and President Trump. Franklin, what's different heading into next week? So SEIU has taken a little bit of a different approach this time. Number one, they've reached out to other groups that really haven't been involved in the past, ranging from Planned Parenthood to... Uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign, Our Revolution, the organizers of the Women's March. And and it's going to be in downtown Chicago. Downtown Chicago. And rather than going over to the McDonald's corporate headquarters, they're going to march from the Trump Hotel and protest the uh, the Trump of corporations. So they'll get the cameras there. I expect they will. Um, in the grand scheme of things, probably just another blip on the radar, but... You know, it's this constant drip, 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 and the involvement of these other groups that haven't participated in a big way in the past is notable because it is putting new sets of odds, it's putting a new spin in this conversation. But I don't think for operators, it, it, yeah, it's a headache and it's another pain in the neck they got to deal with. But, you know, I'm not sure that there's a direct correlation to sales. I'm not sure there's a direct correlation to impact on stock price. You know, the, 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 the impact is really out there in kind of the, the narrative. But I will tell you one area that, that, that for me, if I had, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to put in play and I was thinking about maybe investing in a franchise of a, of a restaurant or potentially buying land or potentially buying mutual funds with that, this constant, as you say, drip, 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 this, this drumbeat of stuff would probably make investing in the industry just a little less desirable um, and, you know, you're, you're, you're bringing on all this other kind of headache. And it seems to me that could have a real financial impact down the road at some point. 
and I th- they would consider that a win. Certainly, yeah. if they could affect stock price or sales, they would also consider that a win. But um, that's the type of disruption and pain that they want, you know, corporate HQ to feel, and that ultimately is what will push them to the bargaining table if that ever happens. There's so much turmoil in the Washington, D.C. bubble right now. It's been a different week, yeah, but same story. Kefauver dared to enter the bubble to check things out himself. The reality is unchanged. The business agenda is severely sidelined. Renzel, we'll start with you since you're since that's your home turf. What's your latest take on how the political climate will affect operators? Yeah, I mean, I think if it could be possible, this week was worse than last week. Um, a lot more happening. Um, So much has come out. There's just, you know, hair on fire mentality across the board. I think you've the difference now from last week is you've got Republicans acknowledging what we were saying, that the the legislative agenda is somewhat dead for now. Uh, Whether or not they can resurrect it, it's a big question mark. I mean, there is a lot of bad um, stuff going around. I mean, there's there's just no other way to really approach it. Uh, other than to understand that the legislative priorities that we want as operators is just going into the trash can with the rest of the stuff. Yeah, and, and, and at the risk of piling on, I mean, instead of hearing words like, hearing phrases like healthcare repeal and replace or corporate tax reform, you're hearing Republicans say the word impeachment resign. And when you have that in the middle of a conversation, your issue agenda is a long way from being you know, addressed if at all. So for operators, this whole uh, morass in D.C. right now is a real problem. Um, and and it's going to be a long time to get sorted out. Right. The Republican voices matter. Of course, that's the differential. But man, it's not like Democrats are going to be jumping on board with any kind of bipartisan action on anything moving forward while this is going on. And this, you know, this was always the risk. I mean, it was it was clear during the campaign process that that this that this team had a very different approach to the law and to institutions and to kind of the normal way of doing things and part of their brand was breaking up the system and uh, they certainly have been true to their word on that and so you know when people supported uh, the current administration uh, you know it was with the, the risk of knowing that yeah they like some of the policy um, uh, uh, positions the administration took, but you were dancing with the devil. And we're only, I mean, we're only four months into this. We're not in year three or year six. We're in month four. Anytime a special prosecutor or an independent prosecutor, in this case, a special counsel is named to investigate an administration, we know it ends badly. I don't think anyone can predict how this is going to end. But we know, looking at previous administrations, the constant drip, drip, drip of negative information that comes out over time seizes up administrations. And I think we can expect that's probably what is going to happen in this instance. The other thing to keep in mind is we're just around the corner from midterm elections. And so this drip, drip, drip... to you know, it's already being politicized, but it is going to be even more politicized as Republicans and Democrats start position themselves for the midterms. Yeah, I think I think timing is, is a is a big deal. You know, uh, we said on the pod last week, you know, if I were uh, CEO of a company, if I were a, a business owner, if I were in the 
uh, and operations, I would be really pressuring my member of Congress to get as much legislation done fast because the erosion of political capital is ongoing and, and Trump's eroding fast, uh, you know, so just get your agenda. Uh, conversely, you know, there's a window here. If, 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 if this issue can't be dispensed with fairly quickly, and I'm talking about the FBI firing, the Russia piece of this, and this, to your point, Franklin, drags on, there's not going to be time to um, make any progress on the agenda. And we get to January 1, the next election cycle starts. They've done nothing in their, their year in Congress except defend or potentially defend or have or, or sat by as, as Donald Trump had to defend himself legally. And so they're going to go hit the campaign trail early next year with absolutely nothing to show. And I think the risk, the additional risk for operators is, like we said, you know, as the energy kind of goes out of the bubble and out into the states, you know, you've got liberal states like California that are going to be pushing agendas that are contrary to what they perceive as the conservative federal stance on issues that maybe are outside the traditional labor uh, place in terms of wages and leave and stuff like that, but more on immigration. I mean, you've got a bill that we've talked about before moving through the process in California where they're pitting the operator right smack in between the state policy and the federal policy related immigration. So not allowing an ICE agent to come into your store or your restaurant, you know, without a proper warrant, you know, not allowing them to do their job. So you're, you're caught in the middle. And, and that is the risk, I think, that comes with a lot of these divergent policies. And that's a, that's a great point. We've, we've been you know, as an industry, you know, convenience store, retail, restaurant operators have often been caught between conflicting state and federal policies. I don't ever remember a time when they've been caught in between state and federal enforcement mechanisms. That's a right. real problem. Despite all the turmoil that we just talked about happening in the D.C. bubble, there is one piece of potential legislation having to do with paid leave at the federal level. Um, that could have some legs. What are the signals that we're getting now, Franklin? We don't know a lot at this point, but what we're seeing is we're seeing the White House is indicating that they're going to include paid leave, a national paid leave standard in their budget. We're hearing from the Hill that there's going to be a piece of legislation that's introduced next week that's a national paid leave preemption bill. And, you know, we have a lot of different industry groups representing a bunch of different employers that are pushing for a national paid leave bill. So we, we see a lot of the politics kind of lining up around this. The actual substance of the bill, not a lot of details other than it would be some sort of national opt-in. So there would be a requirement of some amount of parental leave, some amount of uh, paid sick leave, probably some other requirements. And essentially, if a company opted in to meet that federal standard, then they would not be subject to state and local requirements, which are popping up everywhere and tend to differ greatly depending on the jurisdiction. Keith Oliver, with as little as we know about what is actually being talked about, how do you see this playing out? Well, first of all, knowing very little never stops us from talking, right? <laughs> so uh, now, you know, Absolutely. Um, I think the politics are interesting in the sense that, you know, again, we don't know quite what's in it. But regardless, you're going to set up a situation where potentially you're going to have to get conservative Republicans voting for a national standard. A, it's going to be tough. 
you're going to get conservative Republicans voting to preempt states, which is tough for conservatives. And last I checked, 34 of those states are run by Republican governors who are none, going to be none too happy about that. So, you know, who Democrats knows? Democrats are going to probably have a problem with the preemption piece. And it probably won't be robust enough. They won't like the levels. It'll be too right. low. And so, you know, so it's, again, you know, you can, you can come at this from a lot of different angles, but it's going to be very interesting politically to see how that plays out. So the D.C. politics are going to be a problem to get this over the finish line. One reason why industry leaders may think about trying to punch through and get something over the finish line in D.C. is this conversation is over with the American people. You know, it, the, the numbers in this are through the roof in terms of more or less everyone is supportive of some form of paid leave for parents and some form of paid sick leave. And that's why you have this patchwork. That's why you have these mandates popping up at the state and local level. And that's going to continue. That's going to continue into the future. And we lose, we spend a lot of money, time, and energy, and potentially, you know, reputational clout engaging in these political conversations. A federal standard that allowed us to take this issue off the plate and focus on other issues would, that's an attractive option. And, and you never know. You could have Republican governors that say, you're doing me a favor, so I don't have to deal with this issue eventually in my own state and the, and the and politics Hogan, of it. Hogan Larry Hogan Maryland, in Maryland, John Kasich in Ohio. Maybe they might have say, thank God. So you never know. Like I say, it'll be interesting how this plays out. Time for the legislative scorecard. These are the top items impacting business models around the country. And let's start with wages. Franklin, there was a vote in Nevada finally on the minimum wage increase on the Senate side. What happened? State Senate passed a $12 an hour minimum wage rate bill. It now goes to the Assembly, which is also Democrat-controlled, so it could pass through. Two issues, though. Governor has indicated he'll veto, and there's some constitutional question as to whether or not the legislature can actually raise the minimum wage. It may have to be done through the Constitution. For a couple of weeks now, you've been calling it the Missouri mess. The mess in Missouri. The mess in Missouri, sorry. And it uh, finished appropriately in a big mess. It did. The legislative it's session has ended. They did vote on the preemption law. What, what are the results? So it was the final hours of session all the way down to the end. Um, Senate approved it. It went over the House. Some members had left. They lacked the supermajority they needed to make the law, go, the preemption law, go into effect immediately. So we have preemption, but it won't go into effect until August 28th, which means that St. Louis employers have to abide by the $10 an hour rate until that date. And so the speaker just didn't corral his people and they just said, hey, we're going. I know we're not done, but I'm just heading home. Sorry. Summertime. Time to, I guess, hit the beach or maybe the Mississippi River. So they left before the session was over and we didn't get our supermajority, so it doesn't take effect immediately. Let's let's switch over to paid leave. There was a court ruling this week that affects Pittsburgh's paid leave law. Keith, however, what happened? Yeah, so the city of Pittsburgh uh, passed a paid leave ordinance in August of 2015, uh, and almost immediately um, a lawsuit was filed by our friends at the Pennsylvania Restaurant and Lodging Association, and that was six. You know, it's been ongoing now for almost two years, and uh, the judge uh, ruled this week that uh, basically the city did not have the legal standing based on interpretations of the Home Rule Charter to pass such an ordinance. So, big win for. Uh, the industry, a big win for, uh, you know, congratulations to our friends in Pennsylvania the Restaurant and Lodging Association, a big loss for the Pittsburgh Penguins who are so beat up right now they could probably use a paid sick leave policy. How about scheduling, Franklin? News out of New York City? 
Yeah, so never underestimate Law and Order to the TV series, the greatest show ever, <laughs> ever. to appear on television. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so Law and Order may save the day on New York City scheduling. It's kind of a long shot, but the movie and the TV industry have come forward in this conversation around scheduling in New York City, and they said, hey, you're going to destroy our industry. You know, we can't schedule two weeks out and have inflexible schedules. If you want movie and TV to thrive here in New York City, you got to kill these bills. And it's it's a broad coalition, Motion Pictures Association, uh, Screen Actors Guild, all the unions in the film and TV industry. So we'll see. The vote is scheduled for May 24th next week. And, you know, this may this is shaking up the political dynamics, and it'll be interesting to see what happens next week. I wish I could say I listened to anything you just said, but I was thinking about how many channels Law & Order is on right it's now. It's never off the air. It's a beautiful thing. It's, God bless America. We've got a longstanding tradition on the Working Lunch podcast of picking horses that's lasted, what, well, two weeks, only two <laughs> weeks. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and pick horses again because the Preakness is coming up. That means we're heading to Maryland. Ah, Maryland, my Maryland. Crab cakes and football and horse racing. Let's pick them. Franklin, who do you got? You know, I, I don't like the field. I'm, I'm going the trifecta with the three 30-to-1 odds. I'm just throwing them in there, see what happens. I'm going conquest, mo money. I like it. Well, I have a senior in high school graduating tomorrow, and I'm about to make a big investment in some college checks, so I'm going with senior investment, 30-to-1. And since in all likelihood you will forget that pick next week, <laughs> we'll remind you. That's all for this episode of Working Lunch. We'll talk to you again next week.